0: The views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU.
1: You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1.
2: Good evening, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. The time is 7.07. It is Tuesday, November the 4th, and on behalf of the EOT team here at WKNC, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'm Nick Savage. Tonight we bring you a different kind of discussion featuring news writers for NC State, as well as an organization here in the Triangle making a real difference for local children. In addition, we have coverage on a contest relating code and art to be used in our hunt library, and some information about NC State's own food pantry. But first, let's find out what's in the news beyond the headlines.
1: This weekend, news on
3: Eye on the Triangle.
4: A brief rundown
2: of the latest news.
3: The president of Burkina Faso stepped down Friday, October 31st after days of protest demanded it, allowing the head of the country's armed forces to take charge. The president, Blaise Campore had previously seized power in a 1987 coup and was due to step down this year after 27 years in office, but triggered the protests when he attempted to remain for another year. It wasn't until protesters gathered in Burkina Faso's capital stormed the parliament and state television offices the day before and a lack of international intervention that steered Campore to resign. The demonstrators were originally met with opposition from national security forces, resulting in three protesters' deaths and numerous injured in the eventual clashes. Friday's continued protest was luckily peaceful and without any security forces present. After introducing an Internet traffic tax earlier in the week, Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban paused plans to pass the tax Friday, October 31st, after massive protests in in Hungarian streets and warnings from the European Union. Those challenging the tax argue that it would greatly hinder Internet access for consumers, as many are already struggling with Hungary's faltering economy, as well as restrict the voices of government critics. Though Orban froze the plan, he stated that the levy wouldn't be scrapped altogether. He instead plans to start consultations on Internet regulation and taxing the revenue created online next year. On November 1st, according to Abu Bakr Shekau, the leader of the terrorist group Boko Haram, the girls his group kidnapped in Nigeria in April were converted to Islam and were married off. He also claimed that Boko Haram had never agreed to a ceasefire and will never talk with the Nigerian government. Chakao had previously only threatened to sell the girls off as slave brides and mentioned he would be prepared to release them in return for imprisoned Boko Haram members. Despite the Nigerian government announcing a a reached ceasefire on October 17th, violence and kidnappings had continued. There is no current confirmation when or where Chakao's video was shot, and Nigeria's leaders still maintain that talks are ongoing. The end of a daily flag-lowering ceremony on the India-Pakistan border on Monday, November 3rd, experienced a suicide bombing that resulted in the deaths of at least 55 people and more than 150 individuals wounded. The event was considered a success, however, as Punjab Rangers, a parliament, paramilitary force responsible for border security, stopped the bomber at the checkpoint to the gathering, where dozens of people were seated the bomb was set off there instead of in the middle of all those attending the ceremony. Three separate groups are claiming responsibility for for the attack. India's government has since requested the ceremony to be suspended for at least three days. The former mayor of Iwala and his wife were detained Tuesday, November 4th on accounts that one, the mayor, Jose Luis Abarca, ordered the kidnapping and assumed homicide of the 43 students taken November 26th. Two for another homicide linked to killing three people during the clashes that followed the students' disappearance, and third for the alleged assassination of a local leader in 2013. The search for the students continue, and a recent mass grave found near Iwala containing 30 yet-to-be-identified bodies are keeping the authorities busy. That's it for the news this week. Back to you, Nick.
2: Thanks, Sydney. There are a number of sources that we and I on the Triangle use to find stories to report on our show, and one of the best places we go is the NC State News website. Contributor Michaela and I, in searching for stories to cover, thought that speaking with some of the people who write for NC State News would be interesting, and it proved to be just that. Here's a bit about some newswriters for NC State. We at I on the Triangle very clearly have a local focus. To find all the stories we bring you about things going on at NC State and the rest of the Triangle, we rely on several sources, one of which is the extremely useful news.ncsu.edu site where all sorts of NC State-related news bits are posted. This week, EOT contributor Michaela and I decided to take a look at the other side of the stories that are posted there, the NC State newswriters. We spoke with two of the writers to find out a bit about the work that they do.
4: I'm interested in stories that we can tell to local, regional, national, and international news outlets, whereas Tim focuses on stories that are of interest within the university community.
2: That's Matt Shipman, a science writer and PR handler for NC State.
4: My background is in reporting. I was a journalist in Washington, D.C. for about 10 years covering federal policy issues that relate to the environment and public health. And then through a series of random events, I found myself living in the Triangle and uh, came to work for NC State. And I've been here for a little over six years now.
2: He works with Tim Peeler, another writer and editor for University Communications and News Services.
5: I'm an NC State graduate and a North Carolina native. I was a newspaper reporter for about 20 years. I worked in NC State Athletics for about 10 years, and I've been in my current job a little over a year.
2: The stories they cover are many and varied and can be featured in local, national, and even international media. Matt gives an example of something he's covered that has had far-reaching audiences.
4: I've done a lot of work with Ann Ross, who is a professor in the anthropology department. She's a forensic anthropologist, so she studies human bones. And work that we've done with her has appeared in publications ranging from the News and Observer or The Independent, which have both run features on her and her work, to full spreads in Scientific American. And also, given that a lot of her work looks at sort of the skeletal differences in specific cultures, it's also gotten an enormous amount of media coverage internationally. So she did one study that was looking at how the skeletons of, People in Portugal have changed over time, and that was a big news item in Portugal, right? So it really depends. It varies from story to story.
2: Tim says his focus is more big picture, relating work done as a university that has wide effects.
5: A lot of the things that I've written about lately especially are feature stories or things that are going on on campus. You know, we we have people in new services who cover each of the colleges, But a lot of times, especially now with so many things that cover different disciplines, that you try to get an overview of the things that are going on on campus so that you're not just looking at one particular discipline or one particular department or even one particular college. One of the things I did recently was the U.S. Open was in Pinehurst. And we had a lot of people who were involved with developing the course at Pinehurst and changing the structure of it from a uh, crop science perspective we did a lot of things with that. And that was a national and international event that was here in our state, which brought a lot of money to the state. We're always trying to promote the ways in which NC State impacts economic development within the state of North Carolina, and that was a huge event.
2: NC State News acts as an aggregator for all of the news coming from the various colleges here. Each college has its own professional communicators who are focused on issues that are of interest within their specific college. Matt, Tim, and their coworkers at NC State's News Services are on the university level, so they work closely with the college communicators and others around campus to find stories worth bringing to NC State's breaking news portal.
4: So very often, the communicators in the colleges who are very talented and dedicated in what they do, they'll give us heads up about things that are going on within the college. By the same token, we're often contacted directly by faculty, or we'll touch base with individual faculty who we know are doing interesting things to find out what they're up to. And if we're the people who are taking the lead on it, then we'll notify the college communicators to make sure that they're in the loop and we can work together to make the most of it.
2: Matt says in addition to this back-and-forth communication, the core of an NC State news writer's job involves working directly with NC State faculty and others involved in newsworthy bits on campus to find out what the stories are, largely through interviews. Then, as Tim explains, it's up to them to make sense of what most of the time consists of a lot of technical explanations.
5: What all of the people that we work with are really good at, are finding how to tell those stories, which are not always in the most digestible form. And that's what our job is, is to make that stuff that can be very difficult to understand more accessible and translate it to the audience out there and say, wow, that's, that's a really cool thing that they're doing, but we would have never known it based on maybe an abstract in a white paper or something that is really hard to understand.
2: Matt says that breaking down the technical talk isn't quite the same as dumbing it down.
4: We don't do that. So what we do is we take the research, which was written in jargon for a very specific set of experts, and we rewrite it to highlight what's interesting or important about the work, and we use what I call shared language. So this is language that intelligent people have in common, but it's not hyper specific. A geneticist is very intelligent. An astrophysicist is also very intelligent. However, it's very unlikely that they would understand each other's technical papers. So we're not dumbing it down. We're not writing for people that aren't smart. We're just using language that people share across disciplines.
5: It's very interesting. I was writing a story about the different ways that uh, 3-D printing is being used on campus, and uh, we're doing some work with the University of North Carolina Medical Center, and we have engineers working with medical doctors. And one of the first things that each of them did The medical doctor took an engineering class here at NC State, and the engineer took a basic biology course at Carolina so they could actually speak the same language to each other. And then we have to figure out what they're talking about and (laughs) translate and and put all those things together. But it is a shared language. Like what Matt said, and we're not dumbing it down. We're just making it more accessible.
2: And the work doesn't end once the piece is written. Matt and Tim also work to get their stories picked up by other news organizations. When I write
4: something... It might go on the university's news page. It might go on the home page. It might show up in the university's research blog, which is called The Abstract. But that's really only the beginning of the process. It's a classic example of where I could tell you that I'm a really swell guy, and you may or may not believe me. But if other people start saying the same thing, you might believe it, right? So we can tell good stories about ourselves. That's not going to have the same impact that it would have if National Geographic were telling stories about us. So a lot of what I do is working with reporters at a variety of news outlets across the state, across the country, internationally, to try and get them interested in the work that we're doing here and to tell those stories on our behalf.
2: The work done by NC State News has gained increased notice in recent years, and Matt explains some of the people that have contributed to this increase in recognition.
4: I think that that's a result of the collaborative effort of university communications as a whole, which includes not only those of us in new services, but the web services team, which oversees the homepage, for example, the graphic designers, and even folks in other units across the university, such as the college communicators, the alumni association, which does excellent work, and so on.
2: Tim adds that it's taken quite a bit to get to where the program is today.
5: There was a concentrated effort in building the team for new services and communications and uh, to redouble the efforts that communications has had during the entire time that Matt's been here and, and what they've done. And we have a really good team of people who can go out and tell those stories about what's going on at NC State.
2: Part of the work to increase focus on NC State is the introduction of a new science blog.
4: In 2010, we launched a blog called The Abstract, which is about all the various facets of research, At NC State, that includes science, technology, engineering, but it also includes social sciences, digital humanities, a lot of the things that we do. And if any of the listeners have not checked that out, I encourage you to check it out because there is a lot of cool stuff in there. Of course, I'm biased. I would say that. But I think there really is a lot of cool stuff going on there.
2: And to those who don't realize just how much incredible work is being done here at NC State, Matt has this to say.
4: I have no history with NC State. I'm not from North Carolina. I did not go here. And I've been, frankly, kind of blown away by the amount of really cool research that happens here. So there are a lot of good stories
2: being told, and I encourage people to check them out. For in the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. And up next, we have a highlight of a local basketball program. But first, we have a piece about a different kind of art contest for students here at NC State. If you've stepped inside the New Hunt Library over on NC State's Centennial Campus, you've no doubt noticed how high-tech everything seems. In particular, you may have seen one of the five micro-tile screens located throughout the library, one of which is located above the Ask Us area right as you walk in. This screen brings a lot of valuable information to passers-by, but it holds even more potential than acting as a giant billboard. Elisa Katz, the Code Plus Art Program Assistant for the University Library's Digital Library Initiative, explains a bit about how these screens can be used.
6: We have several large video display walls in the Hunt Library. These are Christie micro-tile video walls, and they are all smart tiles, so they know what media is put on each micro-tile. You can break up the micro-tile walls into any configuration you want. So, for example, the game lab that we have, you can play or present up to eight different sections within the video micro-tiles. So you could have four different game consoles going, a Netflix movie and YouTube. So these micro tiles are pretty smart and they're also 4k resolution, which is pretty large. So there's a total of five installations of these Christie micro tile panels throughout the library. They would be the art wall that's above the main ask us area, the commons wall, which you can see when you're sitting on those big steps that look straight back towards the entrance of the library, the teaching and visualization, the iPearl immersion theater, and then the game lab.
2: In order to discover enhanced use of these walls, a new program has been announced, and the idea is to gather student submissions for data-based art projects to be displayed on one of the screens.
6: So basically what we're running is a massive television station that requires content of all kinds. And what better way to populate with content is through our students and our faculty and our staff who are doing amazing things here at NC State. So each wall definitely has its own audience and personality, and we decided to start with the art wall as a way to really greet library visitors when they come into the library as it's situated right above the Ask Us station.
2: The program is called Code Plus Art, and as you can probably tell from the name, the goal is to incorporate more than just a set of pretty images into the art that will appear on the screen. The specific idea is to use something known as generative art.
6: For our purposes, generative art is software-generated artwork that is created algorithmically, and it changes over time. So we're wanting the visualizations to be animated and always evolving so that people can look at the piece multiple times without ever actually seeing the same thing twice. So there's different ways that the library goer can actually observe generative art. They can look at it like it's a beautiful, wonderful, advanced screensaver, but they can also look at it a little bit longer and maybe get information through various text or other interactive opportunities to understand what the data is that is being generated through this artwork.
2: And to bring the project even closer to home, Code Plus Art aims to incorporate data that is generated right here at NC State.
6: So what we want to do is actually... See if there's a way to really make this library video wall space our own by taking our own created data and turning it into visual art. So some examples that we have listed on our contest website are trending queries from the live.ncsu.edu search all tab, for example. Or we could build sensor data like the number of people who walk through the entry gate. Or text data from one of our licensed journal collections. Another one is maybe historical movement coordinates from the BookBot, which has been fun to kind of think about. So these are all examples, and there's many more that you could probably come up with. And these are all just library data sets. You can definitely think about any other examples. For example, a, a generative artist named Aaron Koblen, who actually works with Google, has tracked flights and laid that out on a flight path. In fact, you can see it if you go visit our Google community for Code Plus Art and we have that up there as well as a few other examples of generative art and what it looks like and what it comprises.
2: And Elisa says the Google community is a good place to share ideas and get inspiration. If you want to check it out, you can visit go.ncsu.edu slash codeart. As far as an actual submission, which is due November 23rd, Alisa says they're pretty flexible about the content.
6: So in order to submit for the Code Plus Art visualization contest, you do need to be an enrolled NCSU student through May 2015. And in order to submit, you would go to lib.ncsu.edu codeart code all one word. You would need to submit proposal text that would be 500-word maximum that would just describe your concept and what data you plan to use, And you would also describe how you would like to visually represent your concept and why, and how you plan to execute your concept. We also would like a bio of 300 words max, and then supporting materials to show us what the project might look like visually or algorithmically through a sketch. Even if you can only draw stick figures, that's okay. We just want to see a hint of what you can bring us. We also do need you to submit a budget because there is a budget allotment for the winners.
2: And once the proposal is submitted, it will be judged by a panel based on various criteria.
6: What they're looking for is really clarity of concept. Can you really express a theme with clarity of concept and a visual plan? Also, we're looking at how you integrate the data. So the proposal needs to provide a clear description of the data being utilized and a clear narrative reasoning for use of the data. So how will that be portrayed in the art? We also definitely want to make sure it has audience appeal and that it will engage a large group of audiences. Even though the video wall is right at the entrance of the Hunt Library, users will only look up if it's something engaging and visually enticing through movement and color and display. So you really do need to think about how you can capture an audience within just a short period of time and also entice them to come back for more as they walk around through the library and as well as on their exit.
2: And according to Elisa, the success of this program will help determine if this could turn into an annual contest to generate new art for the wall.
6: So the hope is, and part of my job for the rest of the year, is to really envision what the Code Plus Art program will look like moving on into the future. So we'll be judging interest levels amongst the students and faculty and staff here at NCSU throughout this contest process, and it will be a chance for us to gauge what programs and other opportunities we can bring to people in the future.
2: Submissions are due by November 23rd by midnight, with the selection and implementation timeline stretching into next year.
6: During the week of December 8th, we're going to announce the selected proposals and notify all of those that will be moving on to the next round. And then come January, February, and March, we'll be working on the initial project meetings with librarians, testing prototypes, and then finalizing the art projects. So that way, by April, we'll be ready for our opening reception and the Code Plus Art visualization contest and awards ceremony.
2: For anyone who's not quite sure where to start or not sure if their idea is good enough, Elisa has this to say.
6: We'd like to be offering some processing workshops as well. Processing is a software that's an open source software that actually you can use to create generative art. And so I'm definitely looking for interest from the community to see when that would be great to set up in the next couple of weeks. So, again, if you have any interest at all, please contact us through the Google community. And even if you're not sure, please just email us or um, check out the link and submit And we'll be sure to get in touch with you and see how we can help you execute your vision.
2: Again, the Google community can be found at go.ncsu.edu slash codart, and more information can be found at lib.ncsu.edu slash codart. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. And now we have a highlight of a local basketball organization making a real difference in some children's lives. Here's the Running Rebels. The North Carolina Running Rebels is a basketball program here in Raleigh, but it's not any ordinary basketball program. Aaron Clyburn, the organization's president, says that on one level it's different because it's an AAU program. That is, it's part of the Amateur Athletic Union.
7: AAU is a more intense, fundamentally teaching type of atmosphere. So, you know, you might have a third grade team, but they may practice like a high school team. You know, drills and discipline and teamwork and really learning the real fundamentals of the game.
2: In addition to the demanding standards of AAU basketball, the program aims to help the kids in the program glean a lot more than just basketball skills through the mentoring provided by the coaches.
7: So I think coaching and mentoring kind of goes hand in hand. We strive to instill discipline in the children, just getting them to know how to carry themselves, how to work as a team, how teamwork and being able to take instruction goes beyond the basketball court. It just goes into life. You know, you're going to have to take instruction throughout your life, whether it be your work you know, your job. School, You know, you're going to have to learn how to take instruction all the time. So we really try to instill that from the day they come in the, in the door or the gym until they leave. And you want to make sure that they're, they're on the right track off the court as well. So, you know, our coaches, you know, they check grades. You know, they make themselves available. You know, if kids need to talk, if parents need to talk about what's going on outside of basketball, in their lives. Like, you know, I always tell parents, use us to help. When they're not doing the things they're supposed to do around home, around the house, if they're not doing what they're supposed to do in school, you know, use us to speak to them. Because sometimes, you know, this is what they want to do. So the fact that they want to do it, they may be more apt to listen to us giving direction and keeping them on the right track. I've had a teacher tell me, I have several teachers tell me like, you know, we say we'll call home and it's okay. But we say we want to call your coach. They, they're, they're whipping the shape quicker than you might think. So I really feel like we do make a a, a positive impact in their lives
2: and the goal of this mentoring is to make sure that positive impact has a lasting effect on the kids in the program
7: a lot of times it comes down to children just knowing that someone is in their corner you know a lot of times children feel like they don't have anywhere to turn to you know they turn to the wrong people which are their friends who really don't know any better than they do so we just try to give the olive branch so they know they can come talk to us about issues they may be having they know we're in their corner that we want them to succeed and do the right thing and just get ahead in life. So we talk to teachers, we've gone to schools, we've gotten access to their school records online. You know, we've communicated with teachers just to say, hey, give us the feedback we need, so we're on the same page.
2: Not only is the program interested in monitoring kids' grades and encouraging more discipline, but they're also looking to implement a tutoring service this year.
7: Right now we have a program called the Rebels 360 program that we have the groundwork groundwork laid out just to offer tutoring services, help with testing ACTs and the grades, that type of thing, as well as like your everyday homework or whatever class you may be struggling in. So right now we're looking for volunteers or people who may be in need of like volunteer hours. We're a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We're looking to get like more into the nutritional side of things because the big thing now is child obesity. So just want to be on track to make sure Kids are living healthy, eating healthy, just have healthy living habits. So those are, are the programs, like I said, we have the groundwork for what we're really trying to put in place this year.
2: In addition to looking out for the kids, this program gives some the chance to travel, which can be a unique experience that they don't get elsewhere.
7: For these kids, you know, I know there's some kids who may not leave the city or surrounding cities if it were not for basketball. You know, we've had teams go to Florida, New Orleans, Texas, Georgia, up and down the east coast so it's like an opportunity that we're giving them that they may not have uh, had otherwise
2: and all of this travel is largely thanks to the success of the league's teams
7: so our ninth grade team has won the last 3 state championships division 1 if you're not familiar with aau like it's just like college you know we have division 1 division 2 division 3 so you know with division 1 being top of the line so we've won the last 3 North Carolina division 1 state championships this past season, we finished 6th in the country, Division One AAU. So this year, there were 120 teams. So out of 120 teams, we finished 6th. And the previous year, we finished 4th in the country. And there's teams from, you know, you have teams from Canada, Puerto Rico, all the states. So it's, it's a huge deal.
2: To add to the league's success, they're looking to expand to include girls' teams.
7: We have had girls' teams in the past. We're actually trying very hard to get some more girls on board girls are just naturally harder just to get who's interested in basketball and, and that type of thing but we're looking to have a girls team this season we're going to see how it pans out
2: for those looking to help the running rebels Aaron says sponsors are welcome and volunteering with the organization is encouraged
7: even if you're not a basketball person you know it could be just someone influential who would want to just come and speak to the kids and share their experiences However you want to help, however you feel that you can help, there's something that anyone can do to help the kids.
2: And there's no doubt that working with the organization is a rewarding endeavor.
7: I've actually had a mom call me. They actually left the program and went to Atlanta. And she called and said, hey, Coach Aaron, I don't know what you did to my son, but he had a project in school and said, who were the influential people in his life? He said, his dad, Barack Obama, and you. (laughs) So so that was kind of... Heart touching to me to say, Hey, okay, I know I'm doing something right. So that lets me know. But sometimes it can kind of weigh you down because it is very time consuming. It takes a lot out of you. But I mean, I love it. So something like that just reminds you what you're really doing it for.
2: To find out more about the Running Rebels, you can visit NC Running Without a G Rebels.org. For I on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. We will have a highlight of the NC State Food Pantry. But first, here are your campus happenings for the following week.
7: So you can see say, oh, what's going on. What's going on? What's going on? what's going on? Oh, yeah, what's going on?
4: What's
0: on? Tomorrow afternoon is the Costa Rica Symposium, hosted by the Office of International Affairs. The event is a great opportunity to learn about NC State's strategic partnership with Costa Rica. The symposium should serve as a forum for faculty to discuss research and collaboration related to Costa Rica. The event will feature a keynote speaker, web presentations from faculty and partners in Costa Rica, a poster session, a roundtable discussion, and a networking reception. The event will last from 1 p.m. until 6 p.m. at BTEC on Centennial Campus and is open to NC State community members. Also tomorrow is the is the next in the Mathematics Department Colloquium Series. This event will feature James Snide of the University of Auckland, and his speech is titled, The Dynamics of Calcium, Oscillations and Waves, Experiments and Theory. Catch his speech at 4 p.m. in SAS, room 4104. Tomorrow evening is also the Language Exchange in Mann Hall. This event presents an opportunity to learn a new language or practice one you already know in small groups. You can also meet new friends and native speakers who can help you learn new phrases. To register, visit ncsu.edu gti. Many college students believe that study abroad can be too expensive for them. However, study abroad at NC State is affordable and can be a reality for most. The Study Abroad Office is hosting a Funding Your Study Abroad information session on Thursday from 10 to 11 in Tally Student Union. Visit studyabroad.ncsu.edu for more information. Also on Thursday is the Student Leadership Initiative panel discussion. This panel discussion will feature a diverse group of alumni and current student leaders exploring how NC State fosters student leaders and challenges them to make positive change. Featured students include a host of former student body presidents, as well as a former mayor of Raleigh. Catch the event at 4 p.m. in Tally Student Union. Visit lib.ncsu.edu for more information. Bernard Boxill of UNC Chapel Hill will speak on Dubois in Race and Dignity as part of the Philosophy Colloquium Series at 4.30 p.m. on Thursday. The event is open to the public and will take place in Riddick Hall, room 321. NC State offers several summer study abroad programs. One such program is available in Perugia, Italy. A well-known cultural and artistic center of Italy, the city is only 100 miles north of Rome and 90 miles from Florence. Those interested in this opportunity should attend the Information and Orientation session on Thursday in the 1911 building from 5 to 7 p.m. Friday is the Poole College of Management's annual Biosciences Forum. The event highlights students and alumni in the Jenkins MBA Biosciences Management Concentration as they present poster summaries of their practicum projects. The forum will take place from 7 a.m. to noon at the North Carolina Biotechnology Center. Visit pool.ncsu.edu for more information. Also on Friday, the Study Abroad Office will be hosting a workshop to help strengthen resumes and interview skills. The goal is to help students leverage international experiences in their job search. Tips and techniques for how to best incorporate study abroad into resumes and during interviews will be addressed. Catch the session at 1.30 in the First Year College Commons. This week is Homecoming Week. To celebrate, the College of Engineering is hosting a Homecoming Weekend Kickoff on Friday at 2 in the Hunt Library. Dr. Jay Beliga, a National Me- Medal of Technology and Innovation recipient, and a Distinguished University Professor of Electrical and Computer Engineering at NC State will be the keynote speaker. A barbecue dinner will be held following the speech, and registered participants and their families are welcome. For registration and more information, visit go.ncsu.edu slash homecoming. Friday night. Dr. Paul Berliner and his collaborator of 40 years, Zimbabwean Ambassador Cosmas Magaya, will perform and discuss the many dimensions of their decades-long project to document the musical traditions of the Shona people of Zimbabwe. Catch the performance at 7 p.m. in Thompson Hall. Visit arts.ncsu.edu for more information and for tickets. This weekend marks the opening of the University Theater's production of Around the World in 80 Days. The exceptionally graceful adaptation of Jules Verne's classic is both wise and fun-filled. Performances take place every day this weekend, and times and tickets can be found at arts.ncsu.edu. Saturday, the Office of International Affairs is hosting Atsokimi, the traditional Japanese moon-viewing event. There will be many fun activities, from making Japanese lanterns and rice dumplings to wearing kimonos and taking part in the bazaar. The event is open to the public and will take place from 2 to 7 p.m. at the Spring Hill House at 705 Barber Street Drive. Visit oia.ncsu.edu for more information. This Sunday is the recital presented by the faculty of the NC State Music Department. Catch their performance at 4 p.m. in Thompson Hall. More information and tickets can be found at arts.ncsu.edu. This weekend at the Campus Cinema, the movies Guardian of the Galaxy into the Storm and Clueless will be showing. Visit uab.ncsu.edu for times. For even more information on all these events, plus more, visit ncsu.edu calendar. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm DJ Trillion.
2: Well, thank you very much, DJ Trillion. And now we have that promised uh, highlight of the NC State Feed the Pack Food Pantry. Have a listen, because it was brought to you by the very same lady who brought you your community calendar.
0: NC State has its own food pantry, and it's been running since November of 2012. Brooke Wilner, a junior at NC State, is the community outreach coordinator for the Feed the Pack food pantry, and she says the growth since then has been astounding. It's actually really impressive how
1: much we've been able to grow in that short period of time. We've had a lot of support from people. Sometimes we get food drives, and they don't even tell us that they're doing them. They just show up with food, and it's really incredible.
0: And the need for this food pantry definitely exists
1: here at NC State. When we started, one of the staff counselors, PJ Adams, had had a lot of students coming in that were experiencing food insecurity, and so he suggested the idea of starting a pantry. And when we first started, things were running really slowly, and we were wondering if there actually was a serious need. But as our name got out there, it's just incredible the number of students, staff, and faculty we've been able to serve. Last month, we served over 1,000 patrons, so that was really just amazing how many we've been able to serve and how much of an impact we've been able to have Our need is only exponentially growing, so right now we're looking for a bigger space, a way to make sure that we have enough food coming in consistently. Our need has definitely been growing now that more people know who we are and where we
0: are. And the faculty and staff that frequent the pantry were an unexpected group of patrons. Initially,
1: we thought that most of the patrons coming in would be students, but we've actually learned it's about 50-50 students and then faculty and staff. We actually get a large number of professors in, which seems really strange because I think a lot of people think that professors make a lot of money, But most of the professors we have coming in are adjunct professors, which means that they're not on a tenure track. And they're making only, you know, maybe $12,000, $13,000 a year per university. And they're working at two or three different schools at the same time. So we get a lot of faculty coming in, and they have to feed their entire family. So, you know, we let them take as much food as they need, depending on the size of their family. A lot of staff are also maybe part-time and don't get paid as much as you would assume that they would at a large university. But, yeah, our need is about 50-50 students
0: and then faculty and staff. The struggle to stock enough food in the pantry is never-ending, but Feed the Pack is seeking partnerships to help alleviate the strain. In order to make sure that we have consistent food
1: coming in, we're trying to get very serious partnerships on campus. I think we're working with FFA. We actually are working with Whole Foods on Wade Avenue. So we're trying to get partnerships that we can keep for a long period of time rather than just singular food drives. We could have, you know, reoccurring events, kind of mutually beneficial events where, you know, maybe Feed the Pack gets food and then they are able to volunteer with us and just make sure that we have continued relationships with certain organizations and donations can come from any number of sources we've got a lot of greek life food drives we have some on-campus food drives from residence halls like owen and tucker had a food drive just last month a lot of random organizations some that we hadn't even really heard of before and they email us and say hey we just got a couple hundred pounds of food for you and it's just really incredible that people are supporting us so much without us even asking for it
0: Those seeking to donate should be sure to consider some of the most needed items.
1: Our most needed items are the items, obviously, that are most wanted by our patrons. And if you think about it, you know, a lot of our patrons are students. And so maybe they can't cook some of the, like, traditional canned foods that you think of in donating to a pantry. So, for example, our pantry is full of corn and green beans. We have thousands and thousands and thousands of cans of corn and green beans. But we don't have that many breakfast items like cereal, oatmeal, things that you would want to actually eat, you know, especially if you're on campus and you don't really have a full kitchen kind of setup. So what we need most are uh, breakfast items, juices, proteins like, you know, soups, chili, and then pasta and rice. The things that are easy to cook go the fastest. And on the flip side, be sure to know what you shouldn't bring. Corn and green beans. We literally don't even have the space to have more corn and green beans. Like we have shelves completely stocked full of them, more than they should probably even be stocked full. And we have three cabinets just entirely full of cans of corn and green beans. I think it's when, you know, people think about donating to a pantry, it's the first thing that comes to mind. But it's not exactly the first thing that comes to mind when you think about what you actually want to eat.
0: And be sure to avoid refrigerated or frozen goods, because the pantry can only store non-perishable food items. Feed the Pack also only accepts food that has not yet expired. If you do have expired food that you wish to donate, the Food Bank of Eastern and Central North Carolina will take it. The Feed the Pack pantry is also unique in that everyone working there is a student. Everyone on our leadership team is a student. We do work with
1: people on campus, but... It's the students on the leadership team that actually end up doing everything. All of our volunteers are students from NC State. Everyone on our leadership team is a student. I know my roommate and I have been working since freshman year, and she's currently the executive director. So our leadership team actually has a very low turnover rate compared to most other student organizations. So I think it's kind of special that we're almost a nonprofit in a way, and we're run entirely by students.
0: And new volunteers are always welcome.
1: We're always looking for student volunteers We're especially looking for volunteers that are willing to commit at least just a little bit of their time just very regularly. We have a lot of student-athletes that volunteer with us, which is really cool. We have a lot of volunteers that come, like, every week. So we're always looking for more volunteers and looking for ways to expand our hours if maybe you can work regularly at a time that we're not currently open.
0: Patron return rate is hard to track, but it's clear that the food pantry is a definite help for some.
1: Well, our food pantry is entirely anonymous, so we keep no information on who comes other than the fact that they have to flash an NC State ID just to make sure that they're part of the NC State community. But we don't keep track of their names or anything like that. As far as I know, though, um, according to some volunteers that volunteer regularly, there are people that come back pretty regularly. We limit the visits right now to once a week just because we don't have the capacity to be able to serve more than that. But some people do come at the same time pretty much every week to get food to feed their family.
0: And Brooke says there are also a lot of ways besides volunteering that you can help. I mean, we accept donations
1: from anyone. I think the easiest ways to help out is to do a food drive, preferably of our most needed items. But also if you wanted to, uh, we do group volunteering where you could come in and sort out some of the food on the shelves. Maybe just help us out with the running of the pantry. If you want to bring in a group of maybe like 8 to 12 people, we'd be able to accommodate that for you too. So really, in whatever way you want to serve, we'll make sure that you can. We'll work with you to make sure that our schedules work together.
0: And for Eye on the Triangle, I'm Jamie Yanion.
2: Thank you very much, Jamie Yanion, a.k.a. DJ Trillion. And as always, if you heard anything that you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, you can let us know and tweet at us at WKNC underscore EOT, where you can also catch up on some more local news. Also, be sure to check out our blog at blog.wknc.org, where you can also download our podcast. After Hours is up next at eight, and you can catch another episode of Eye on the Triangle next week right here on WKNC. We'd like to thank our international news correspondent, Sydney, and contributor, Jamie Yanion. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. Good night.